0: Good morning. I'm going to ask you guys a question this morning. How can you have an excellent testimony at work? How can you have an excellent testimony at work? Oftentimes, this is a prayer request that we hear at the prayer meeting when a saint gets a new job and says, you know, I really want to have a good testimony at work. Pray for my testimony and my new job. Or maybe you're currently working at a place and you feel a burden for your co-workers and you want to witness to them effectively. How can you have an effective and excellent testimony at work? So I want to consider this question this morning as we look at today's passage. And today we're continuing our study in First Peter. We'll be looking at verses uh, chapter 2, 18 through 25. First Peter 2, 18 through, 30, 18 through 25. Verse 18 says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." For you were like sheep going astray, but now have ter- returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. <clears throat> as believers, what is our relationship to the world? What is our relationship to the world? Last week we learned in First Peter, as David mentioned, that we are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are exiles. Aliens. It means that we don't belong here. This earth is not our home. And we see this theme kind of reintroduced over and over in 1 Peter. In verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. In verse uh, chapter 1, verse 13, be sober-minded. We talked about getting rid of flabby thinking and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 17, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. 23 says, we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, we are sojourners and pilgrims in this world, and we are to abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Jesus said that the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world's. We currently reside here on earth, but the Bible clearly teaches that we're aliens, foreigners to this world. We don't truly have a U.S. citizenship, do we? We don't truly have an earthly citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And earlier, Peter taught us that, you know, I just mentioned the verse, we conduct ourselves during our stay here. How we ought to conduct ourselves during our stay here. When you go on a trip and you travel to a a place, you book a hotel for a week, you you, um, stay at the place for a while, you finish your whole week, and then you go check out of the place, you go up to the front desk and say, okay, I want to, you know, Pack up and leave, and you, the, what, are the, what does the receptionist ask you? How did you enjoy your stay? How did you enjoy your stay with us? It was a quick, short trip. You were only there for a while. You're not going to stay at that vacation spot forever, just maybe a week or two. But now you have to go back home. With our future and our permanent home in mind, it should really change the way that we think. It should, um, it should transform our thinking of our temporary stay here on earth. We're just passing through and our time here is short. Do we get caught up with all the temporary things of this world and realize, or fail to realize that our stay here is almost up? We're gonna gonna need to check out of this earthly hotel soon. With that truth, it should transform the thinking of our lives each and every day that we have. How are you conducting yourself today in light of your heavenly future, in light of your inheritance and your incorruptible uh, future that you have. As we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we should behave much differently than the world behaves. We should be acting and conducting our lives much different. As Peter says in verse 2.11, that we must have our conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak of us as evildoers... They may by your good works glorify, which they they may by your good works which they observe in you glorify God in the day of visitation. So, in light of this, this is where we are in our study. In light of this, Paul is giving instructions as we go through. He gives practical applications in the next few verses. Last week we talked about one of them. And last week we talked about submitting to governments, submitting to those whom God has placed over us in government the government structure. And God has placed over us those people who have a position of authority, and so we are called to submit. As citizens of a heavenly kingdom, even though we're aliens and exiles, God still doesn't want us to rebel, to overthrow governments. We are called to submit. So God has designed for there to be structure in society, that we have a structure, we have a, um, a place there. And even if there is unjust government and unjust rulers, God has still placed them in that position of authority. Because even if we were to take away all rules and all authority, there would be anarchy. And so God still has an order, has, has a place for them, even the unjust ones. So we must honor rulers whom God has appointed to us, over us, and by submitting and not resisting. And by doing that, we're demonstrating to the world that we are demonstrating a godly testimony to the world, to those in authority. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That means the critics will have nothing bad that they can say against you that will actually stick. So in regards to submitting to government authorities, our testimony is at stake. Now Peter goes on and addresses the workplace. In our workplace, your testimony is at stake. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, back then, in, in this passage, a servant was a house slave. They were a house slave. During the reign of the Roman Empire, slavery was a very common thing. Slavery was not based on a person's race, but it was as, as Rome conquered and continued their conquests and much of the territory, they were taking people captive, and many of these prisoners of war became slaves, and some were purchased. Slaves were often abused, cruelly punished, and degraded as a human being. They were considered the property of their owners. A slave was not a human, but a thing or a tool. They had no legal rights. They could not appeal to a judge or hire a lawyer. If a slave retaliated, they would be beaten or killed. Since society did not view them as a person, there were no consequences to a cruel master. One writer of the Times notes this, Whatever a master does to a slave undeservedly in anger, willingly, unwillingly, in forgiveness after cruel thoughts, knowingly, unknowingly, is judgment, justice, and law. That means you can do whatever you want to a slave. There's no consequences to the master. Aristotle wrote about slaves and said there can be no friendship nor justice towards inanimate things. Indeed, not even towards a horse, an ox, or a slave. For master and slave have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool just as a tool is an inanimate slave. That is the thinking of the time. Of this writing, It is estimated that at the, popul- at the time, the population of slaves were about one-third, one-quarter, one-third of the people were slaves. So it's not a stretch to say that many of the Christians who came to know the Lord were slaves. And so we see this command about servants, about bond servants submitting to their master, repeated in Ephesians and Colossians. We see it in 1 Timothy. So there may have been many Christians wondering at the time well now i 'm you know I, I came to know the Lord, and I see this in the Bible where i 'm freeing christ i 've been set free from sin, and um, you know does that mean i 'm free from my master can I, can I, can I just leave him? No the response would be, servants, be submissive to your masters. The apostles and Peter never suggested in any way that um, we, we were to overthrow slavery or to rebel from their masters. They weren't looking for society change, but they were called to submit to them and not to rebel. And in doing so, a servant was demonstrating a good testimony to his master. So how do we apply this to us today? How, how does this apply to us today? We don't Today, thankfully, we don't have the slavery in the U.S. right now. But the principles... That are taught here can still be applied. The principles that we can glean from this. If slaves were called to submit under the circumstances that they had, we have an even greater responsibility to submit to our employer without the cruelness of slavery. As I brought up the first question in the workplace, your testimony is at stake. How can you have an excellent testimony at work? How can you have an excellent testimony? Believe it or not, we spend most of our days, most of our daily lives at work. From the age that you graduate high school or college to the age that you retire, you are in the career workforce. Let's say you start your first full-time job at the age of 20, and if you're lucky, you get to retire at 65. So that's 45 years worth of work. And let's say you spend an average of nine hours a day at work and there's 260 work, week, work days in the year, minus maybe two weeks of vacation, after working 45 years, you would have spent 100,000 hours at your job. That's equivalent to 4,166 days or 11.4 years of just straight working nonstop. It's a long time. We spend a lot of our lifetime at work that's 100,000 hours spent alongside various coworkers, bosses, interacting with clients or customers. Maybe you work with, uh, contractors or you work with vendors, patients, doctors, professors, house guests, CEOs, investors, superintendents or custodians. At your job, you actually interact with all sorts of different people from all areas of life. And our Christian life, our life as a Christian does not start and stop on Sundays. Our Christian walk carries us throughout each day of your work week as well. Each day that you work with your coworkers, your job is in a sense, a mission field. It's a mission field. So how can I witness at work or have more opportunities at work? Every single day, you actually have an opportunity at work to show others around you, other people that you work alongside or that you uh, manage or that you um, submit under, you have an opportunity to show them that you are different. Not only in just conversation or just spiritual conversations that you have, but also in your conduct, in the way that you conduct yourself. Your actions will speak much louder than your words. So how can I have an excellent testimony at work? How can I do it? Number one, be submissive to your boss or employer. The command is simple. Just as it was for government leaders and rulers, we are called to submit or to be obedient to our boss. And God has designed for there to be order in society, and there will always be someone placed in authority, and then those who are called to obey that authority. And many of us know this, and we do this for our own sake. We know that if we don't listen to our boss, if we don't come into work, if we show up late, we're going to probably get written up or fired eventually. So we do it for our own sake. We know that, you know, there's, there's something on our, our paycheck is involved. But we also don't just do it for our paycheck. It's also for our testimony. Our testimony is at stake. Colossians 3.22 says, Bond servants... Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. In verse 18, it says that we should do this with all fear. We should be submitting to him or her with all respect, to give them the respect that they deserve. 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2 says, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor. Do you honor your boss or manager? Do you give him the respect? Do you honor him in front of your coworkers? Or do you join in conversations of complaining and griping about his management style? Do you undermine your boss's decision and go around his or her back? As part of our Christian testimony to our boss and our coworkers, be submissive and show honor and respect to him or her. How else can I have an excellent testimony at work? We've got to realize that when we serve our boss, when we submit to him, we are actually submitting and serving Jesus. When I serve my boss, when I submit to my boss, I'm actually serving Jesus. Colossians 3.23 says, Not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Our earthly boss is actually not our true boss. As Christians, we should be serving our boss not with eye service, attempting to please men. Our work should be done not um, grudgingly, but willingly in sincerity of heart. We should do it fearing God, And whatever we do, we should do it heartily. And it's not to please men, but it's also to please the Lord. Our work should be done as if Jesus was our boss. How would you work if you knew that Jesus was your boss? Well, he is. (laughs) And we should be serving him heartily and not to, to please men. Christians really should be... If you look at the workplace, they should be the best hardest workers in the whole workforce. They should be the most diligent, faithful at completing all the duties that have been assigned to them. Are you known for your hard work? Are you known for your faithfulness at completing your job? Or do you take the easy route and do the bare minimum just to get by? Realize that your boss and your coworkers, they are they're all taking note. And they're watching what you're doing, if you profess to know the Lord and you claim to be a Christian, they're taking note, this is what a Christian does. How will they view you as a, how will they view Christianity if your work ethic is terrible? Our work ethic is a testimony at our job to our bosses and to our coworkers. Our, Our kids like to go to this place which is a big indoor jumping trampoline place called Rock and Jump. And there are different areas of the facility that when they have different employees stationed at different spots there, and they're supposed to be there to watch people jump. So they're jumping safely, they're wearing a wristband, and they've got, you know, they're following the rules. And it's really easy to tell, it's very clear to us when we know that the boss is around. You know that the boss is around when, because we'll find many of the employees lying back and just on their phones or not really paying attention. And then when the boss is around, they're sitting up straight, looking around, making sure, talking to people, to making sure they're doing their, um, you know, jumping safely. They're serving as men pleasers. Do we serve, do we work that way? They're trying to please their boss as, with eye service. They're only looking busy while their boss is around. As Christians, our productivity shouldn't change based on who's around, whether a boss is around or not. It shouldn't matter that he doesn't see all the details and all the hard work that you do every single second of the day, but our service is to the Lord, and we should be faithful no matter who is watching. The third way we can be, have an excellent testimony at work. It's easy to work for a boss who is good and gentle, but maybe you have a harsh boss. Maybe you have a cruel boss that's unreasonable. Luke, you don't understand. You don't have any clue how bad my boss is. It's impossible to work for him. Maybe you have a boss. Here's top eight harsh boss traits that someone can have. Maybe you have a boss that micromanages you. A boss that picks picks favorites. Maybe your boss takes credit for your hard work and success. Or you have a boss that just keeps making false promises to you. Oh, you're going to get that raise if you just stay later and keep working on those projects. We'll get that raise to you. Maybe you have a boss that's just unreasonable and dishonest. Or you have a boss that doesn't stand up for his employees because he doesn't trust them and is just willing to throw them under the bus at the last second when heat's on him. Or you have a boss that overworks you all the time. Or you have a boss that says, I own you, you are mine. I've had a boss tell me that once. So now I, I do want to say this, that unlike at the time of this writing, that was written to slaves and masters today, we do have the freedom to look for another job. We can leave our current employment. If you have a boss that could, harsh boss, that could be an option, but it may not always be practical. It may not always be the, the best option. Maybe that job is the only one that you, you can have at this time. Or maybe this, this job is exactly where the Lord wants you to be for whatever reason. No matter what, even if you go to leave the job you're, uh, you're at and you go to another one, you might have an even harsher boss. <laughs> but no matter what, what should, we should just be just as faithful to the harsh as we are to the good and gentle. And by being submissive to the harsh, we are testimony to them and to other coworkers as we see our good conduct. And we do this, why? Why do we do this? So that the name of Christ, the name of God in his doctrine may not be blasphemed. This is how we have a good testimony at work. Verse 19 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongful. Wrongfully. Are there any exceptions to this rule of submission? What do I do if my boss wants me to do something illegal or something that's unethical or goes against what the scripture says and is sin? What do I do now? Even though we are called to submit to our boss, our primary loyalty is through Jesus Christ and not our boss. If our boss or employer asks us to do something that would violate our conscience towards God, we must obey the Lord. Remember that Peter even told the government officials when they asked him to stop preaching, we must obey God rather than men. Maybe you work in sales and your boss requires you to lie about a product that isn't selling well, but it would really help the company that's struggling financially or you work in an accounting and your manager wants you to inflate numbers so that investors see that you're doing more successfully than you're not. One boss of a fabric store told employees that they should stretch the fabric when they measure it so that when they got home, three feet would really be like two and a half. These are dishonest scales and the Bible says God detests these. They're an abomination to him. If because of conscience towards God, you respectfully refuse and you suffer for it, this is commendable before God. Maybe they know you are a Christian, and you don't participate in the derogatory jokes or office gossip. And if you are persecuted because of your faith, because of your your um, conscience towards God, you lose out on a promotion, or you get passed up um, from uh, being invited to things, outside of work, and you're treated unfairly or treated poorly. This is suffering, and this is commendable before God. This will be a testimony to our work that Christians stand out from the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. Verse 20 says, For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Suffering for your own wrongdoing damages your testimony before the world. If you're constantly showing up late to work and your boss punishes you by writing you up or giving you less hours, don't claim, oh, it's because he knows I'm a Christian that I'm getting punished. No, it's because of your own fault you're getting punished. There's no credit for accepting it patiently. Not only is it not commendable, we don't want to give any opportunity to the world to blaspheme the name of Christ and his doctrine. A Christian fired for misconduct, theft, insubordination, chronic absence, or lateness gives unbelievers ammunition to blaspheme the name of God. And we don't want to damage our testimony with unbelievers Or perhaps you were failing to complete your task because you were spending so much time witnessing to coworkers on company time. If you are punished, don't cry out that you're being persecuted, but you were called to do a job and to submit to your master, to submit to your employer. You can still witness to them, but do that on your own time or um, on your lunch breaks after hours. But if you should suffer because they know you are a Christian and it's unjust, or because you won't lie to customers or join in their shady business practices. If you suffer because of conscience towards God and take it patiently, this is commendable. You may lose out on that promotion or you may lose your job completely, but God is honored by your testimony. Kelvin Cochran wanted to be a firefighter since the age of five. The young boy pursued his dream, and eventually he became the fire chief of Shreveport. Kelvin went on to serve as the fire chief in Atlanta for many years. Then he got another job and came back again as fire chief of Atlanta. He had served many, many years in his profession, over 30 years, I believe. But Kelvin's job was now in jeopardy, not because of his work ethic, but because of a book that he wrote for a men's ministry about biblical morality. In that book of 162 pages, there was a small section that expressed his view or expressed biblical views of sexuality. Because of this book, there was people in the public that found out about it and there was a public backlash. And it got so uh, such b- backlash that it came to the desk of the mayor of Atlanta. And there was so much pressure to the mayor, for him to be fired. Kelvin had served faithfully in his role for over 30 years, but because of his stance and unwillingness to um, retract statements in his book, Kelvin was suspended. And eventually, Kelvin was fired from his job. Because of the biblical stance he had in his book written, Kelvin suffered unjust persecution. He suffered wrongfully. The Bible says, this is commendable. If you are persecuted or endure suffering because you made a stance for Christ at work, this is commendable before God. Why should we live this way? Why should we do this? Verse 21 says, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor is deceit found in his mouth. Why should we live this way? Because Christ also suffered, and we are called to follow his steps. We are called to follow him as the example. Does that mean that Christians should suffer? Does that mean that we're supposed to really, am I, is a Christian supposed to suffer? Well, let's, let's see. For to this you were called, it says. Did you know that Christians are called to suffering? And it's not only in this passage, but in many passages, the calling for suffering. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good, as to a faithful creator. 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Matthew 5.11-12 through 12 says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Philippians 1.29 says, For to, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his pastor, nor a servant above his master. If Jesus endured suffering and persecution, should his followers really expect anything less? Jesus was reviled. Jesus was mocked. He was rejected, and he was hated by the world. We are called to follow after him. Christ is our example. Should we expect anything other than that? Jesus said the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We should be expecting the world to hate us. Jesus was perfect and sinless. He suffered unjustly. He, or, he was perfect and sinless and still suffered unjustly. He did nothing wrong. There was no fault of his own. But if we are like our master, the world's going to hate us too. They will reject us. They will persecute us, ostracize us, they could even kill us. But how do we endure suffering like Jesus did? How do, we, how do we take suffering? How do we handle it? Let's look at how Jesus suffered as our example. Verse 23 says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. When Jesus was criticized, when he was insulted, he didn't insult back. He didn't threaten or try to get what he deserved. It was Jesus as God in the flesh. He was the rightful king of kings. He deserved to be crowned king. Yeah, he didn't fight for his own freedom, his own rights. He didn't say, this is what I should have. Instead, he entrusted the outcome to him who judges righteously. Instead of taking matters into his own hands, he trusted that God would eventually judge righteously. Isn't that wonderful that when we're persecuted, when we endure suffering unjustly from others, that we don't have to take matters into our own hands? We don't have to... To, to deal with it ourselves, we can know that God is ultimately in control. God is ultimately the one that will handle it, and it's not our responsibility to take actions into our own hands. We don't need to avenge ourselves. You see this even with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when they have a garrison of soldiers coming to arrest him for that night, and Jesus says, you know, I could have, I could have prayed that God would have sent legions of angels. He could have had those at his footstep, or, at his, you know, right, right there to wipe them all out. But he didn't. I love the practical instructions in Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And we know this all too well with kids. We have, you know, Micah will come up to me crying, Justin hit me. Then I go over and talk to Justin. Justin, did you hit him? Well, yeah, but he pushed me first. We take our sin nature just wants to take matters into our own hands. We want to get justice for ourselves. They hit me, I push back. And yet, how are we supposed to respond? Repay no one evil for evil. Verse 20 in Romans says Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is a story of a young man who joined the military. And as a soldier, he was weak and he was struggling for whatever reason to excel and do well in his activities. And so at one point in his career, he found himself to be under the command of a sergeant who was cruel. He treated him poorly, abused him greatly. One day, this soldier was just unable to complete the tasks that he had. And he was doing a training exercise and he was just, could not gain the strength to move forward and was stuck on the ground. He was stuck on the ground and could not move. So his boss came over to him. The sergeant saw this man's helpless body on the ground, unable to move forward. And instead of reaching down to pick him up and help him out, he grabbed his boot, lifted it up, and pummeled him over and over and over again. This, man, this soldier was beaten so bad that he was unable to get to his own bunk and other soldiers had to come to take his tired, worn body, to his bunk. The following morning, the morning wake-up call sounded, and all the soldiers woke up. And as the sergeant woke up, he reached down to put on his boots, and he found them shine to a glisten. He asked around, who polished them? Who did this? And someone told him, it was the man that you kicked the night before. So the sergeant went over to the soldier and said, how could you do that? How could you do that? The soldier replied, because Christ has given me a love for you. And then the soldier shared his testimony with him. And as the story goes on later, that sergeant came to become a Christian. When we respond to suffering in a godly way, there's a profound testimony demonstrated to unbelievers. When we suffer this way, it is commendable before God, and we are following after Christ's ultimate example. As we put Christian suffering into perspective, we are reminded in verse 24 that Christ suffered for our sake. Christ unjustly bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He is the one who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God was slain for us, and by his stripes we are healed. Through his death on the cross, we have died to sin so, we might, so that we might live for righteousness. That is our calling. So as we consider our stay in this world as sojourners, as pilgrims, our testimony is at stake. The way we conduct ourselves in society and at work is a testimony to the world that we are different. We are not the same as them. The manner in which we patiently endure persecution is a testimony and commendable before God. Lastly, I just want to remind ourselves that don't forget who you once were. As we look at the world and think about all the hatred towards Christians, the pure evil and the anti-God mentality that people have, Verse 25 says, "'For you were like sheep going astray, "'but have now returned to the shepherd "'and overseer of your souls.'" You once were like sheep. We once were like sheep that had gone astray. We were lost in our sins. We were helpless, and God was the one that intervened. Your life was headed down a path leading to an eternity without the Savior, eternity in hell. "'And God intervened in your life, "'and at that day you came to know the Lord, you return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This world is lost and is headed for an eternity without the Savior. The Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has saved you that you might live for righteousness, that you might endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, that the world might see your testimony and be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your example of suffering, for your great example of, of suffering for something that you had um, done no wrong for, Lord, that you suffered for our sins. You endured the shame and the, the, the um, hatred, the re- violence, and you did not revile back. You did not speak back to them. Lord, we are just amazed by... Um, your example, we want to imitate that. Um, we want to to be more like Christ. Lord, we just pray that you'd help us in our, in our lives to be an example to others, to suffer um, patiently when we're suffering unjustly for your sake. We pray that we might be examples in the workplace, a testimony to those who know us. How can we be a testimony this week in our work ethic, in the way that we show our love to our co-workers. We pray, Lord, that you might help us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.